Good morning, again. <laughs> um, I woke up this morning in the future, like actually, literally in the future. Um, my, I woke up and my alarm was going off in the kitchen and I thought it was Monday. And so <laughs> I was like, um, I was really annoyed because um, on Monday morning, um, Monday morning is the morning I get to sleep in. And uh, Oh, actually, that's not true, but Monday morning is the, is the potential for sleeping in, if uh, Elena doesn't wake me up. Anyway, the alarm's going off, and so I go through the kitchen and go, oh, why is my alarm going off on Monday, on Monday morning? I was really annoyed. And then I started thinking about the things that um, you know, I was going to be doing today, Monday, and I was like, oh, I don't really want to do, do those kinds of things. And then I started thinking, oh, I wonder what happened, what happened yesterday. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember going to church. <laughs> and I was preaching, and I couldn't remember it. <laughs> And it slowly, it took me ages, like about five or ten minutes to go, oh, hang on, hang on a second, today's today's actually Sunday. It's so strange. It's the strangest thing. My goodness. So what day, I don't know, is it Sunday or Monday? I don't really know. Um, But it's the Lord's Day. Yeah, it's the Lord's Day. And um, it was quite cool this morning, um, you know, during the worship I was making making fun of Nicholas um, before before church because the song that we sang at the end, "To the King," it's quite an old song now, eh? Like there'll be what two thousand or something, two thousand two that you wrote it. Um, but I think it's still got it's still got the goods, and so I was making fun of it. But actually, I, I really really like it, and and I felt like it's a bit of a, um, a sort of like a it's a it's a past present and future kind of song, like it's a sort of a kingdom of God kind of song, and. Um, and um and during it I I just felt um well, you know, I just I was just remembering the, the verse that's in Revelation where where God uh where where the Lord says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the A and the Z. Says the Lord God, who wa- who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And I it's, I reckon that song is like that. It's a it's a past song, 2002. Um, some people here were not even born in 2002, um, but it, it's a present song and, a, and it's a future song. And the Lord is a past, present, and future future Lord. The kingdom of God is a past, present, and future um, a future thing. Um, and waking up on a Monday, when it's actually Sunday. It just it's just like that. I actually wonder if, if it was part of part of the Lord teaching me something about how even though we're uh we're we're present, we're living you know, we're in today, we're in the moment, but we're also living for tomorrow. Like living for the living for the future and there's bits of the future that we get to bring into today. Yeah. So I'm gonna pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Lord that you you have you have time in the palm of your hands. Lord, that you have these moments, like this moment, this, this Sunday morning moment, this um, hour and a half that we meet, you have this moment in your hands. You have, you have our past in your, in your hands, and you have our, fu- have our future. You've got the future of, of the world in the palm of your hands. Lord, how we, we, um, we only know sort of this, sort of this, this time with a, with a beginning and the end, but you're, you're outside of all of that. And somehow you see it from a, an amazing perspective. And I pray that this morning, that uh, if nothing else, that we go away with a, with a sense of um, that you are in control, that you have uh, all these moments in the palm of your hands. And if, even though we've got a limited, limited perspective, that you'd help us to see it, um, or at least trust that you have a greater perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so one, one time... 
a few years ago, uh, quite a few years ago, I was flying home from London and I had a stopover at Kuala Lumpur Airport in Malaysia and KL, and it was one of those stopovers, you might have had the same thing, and you, you have a bit of time, and, and you've got to, make a, got to make a decision, like, do you stay in an airport, or do you go through the, has you know, sort of the hassle of getting out of the airport um, when you're in a foreign country, it, um, it can be a bit of a hassle, um, and go into the city. And, uh, and so I made the wrong choice, and decided to stay in the airport for 13 hours. And... <laughs> which is quite a long time, especially after a flight from London, which was also 13 hours. So 13 hours and a 13-hour wait, and I thought, yep, I'm going to just stay in the airport. And part of the reason was because I'd already spent a week in, in Kuala Lumpur on, on my way to London, and so I thought, well, you know, I've already been there. I'm just going to hang out in this airport. And also, I, sh I should tell you, like, I, I thought it was 11 hours. I made, made a miscalculation. I thought it was 11 hours. 11 hours sounds all right. 13 hours... No, not a lot of difference <laughs> in retrospect. <laughs> and uh, have you seen that movie, um, that Steven Spielberg movie, The Terminal? Yeah, Tom Hanks, he plays a guy, Victor, something or other, from a made-up country, and he ends up in this terminal, and he, uh, while he's, I think what happens is while he's on the plane, something happens to his country, and so his passport becomes... Um, um, obsolete, doesn't work anymore. So he, he, he can't go back to his country, and he also can't enter, I guess it was set in the US, he can't, he can't enter the US. And so he, he lived in the terminal for nine months. And so my 13 hours, anyway, I, I felt like Tom Hanks living in the terminal for 13 hours, and I had these, had these strategies. I, 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 I broke it into one-hour segments, because um, the way to eat an elephant is bite, bite, bite. So I broke it up into one-hour segments, and I had activities for each hour, and I thought if I can just pass, you know, do this activity, then, then I'll be able to gradually I'll get through. And one of my favorites um, was that in, in Kuala Lumpur Airport, there were showers that you could, um, you could hire. And so that was one of my activities for an hour. Which <laughs> 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 sounds quite cool. And it, it starts off all right, like, uh, you know, have a shower and... Um, and eventually I got so tired, I was like just sitting, in the, <laughs> sitting down in the shower, almost falling asleep on the shower. I'd, yeah, a one-hour shower. So wait, waiting for my next flight was really, really tough, um, but it was only 13 hours, and you know that was probably about 13 years ago now. But sometimes we find ourselves waiting, waiting years and years and years for things that we hope for. Sometimes we find ourselves waiting so long that, that we end up um, like losing hope. And there's this proverb... Proverbs 13, 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. But everybody has different ways of waiting. Uh, some are good and some are not so good. Um, and you see this in, in traffic jams. Yep. You've got the drivers that will uh, honk their horns and, and will change lanes and try every sort of tactic they can do, you know, every sort of tactic to get ahead. That's not going to make any difference. Like changing lanes in a traffic jam, what's that going to get you? And then you have the ones that will mutter, 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 mutter. All the other drivers on the road are doing dumb things like changing lanes and slowing us all down. Mutter, mutter. And then you have the drivers that will go, oh, you know, I'm stuck in a traffic jam. I might as well see what's going on on Facebook. Yeah. Come on. I know you've been there. Some of you. Um, uh, and then, then you've got the drivers, those saintly drivers that will just, just patiently wait it out. 
They know that they're going to get to their destination eventually. It's just going to take a little bit longer than expected. And uh, so what kind are you? I'm a mutterer. <laughs> oh, mate. I, yeah, I mutter. And, um, and it really it drives Tessa to bonkers. Uh, and I'm sorry, Tessa. Um, she's ditched me. Um, and I'm sorry to anybody else who's had to share a car with me. I just, something comes out that I mutter. Um, so, I'm, yeah, it's something I need to work on. Jesus probably identified that. Anyway, in, in life, in life, there's all kinds of things that we that we hope for. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. People wait for stuff. Um, you know, you wait for the the dream job, oh, that perfect job where I'm going to be living in my passion. That like that. Oh, what's that old saying? Um, if you do it, something like, well, if you do it, you love, then you never work a day in your life. Oh yeah, oh, yeah man, the dream job. Imagine that. That would be amazing. Um, the perfect husband. Oh. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't have that. The perfect wife. <laughs> yeah, show off. <laughs> Why can't you share? You know, <laughs> waiting for the weekend. Mata mata. <laughs> waiting for our, waiting for our next holiday. Oh, I can't wait for the next holiday. Wow, well, waiting for my birthday. Waiting for school to be over and done with. We all we all have uh, hope, hopes and dreams, hoping for James to shut up so I can have some bacon buddy for lunch. <laughs> there, there are some things that we hope for in our lives, and, and some of them are really, really big, um, big for ourselves, big for others, and, and some are small. And, and we can also be hoping for for something that's huge, like hoping hoping that there's meaning and purpose to life. Hoping that meaning and purpose to our existence. Hope, hope that this life on earth that we experience, um, that, it's, that it's not the whole picture. Hope that there's an eternal God who loves us. And that when we breathe our last breath, when we die, uh, that, that's not the end. Like, like somehow we, we enter into something else. We step into his eternal life. Or hope that the kingdom of God, the good kingdom of God is, is advancing is on the move, bringing, uh, bringing restoration and healing on this planet. And uh, I've been talking about the kingdom of God a bit recently. Man, like we've had a real treat. Like last week, Mark Millard, his preaching was off the charts. Listen, you can check that out on, um, on our podcasts. And, and the week before, Anna was preaching on worship. Man, so, it's been so cool. And before that, I was preaching. Oh, that was top quality stuff. <laughs> Top quality. And I was talked about the kingdom of God, like they have this future reality, all of our deepest, uh, I'd like to think of it as all of our deepest hopes and dreams uh, invading the present. I talked about how we can be kingdom agents, living, um, living somehow um, and able to bring that future kingdom of God into, into the present, uh, blessing those people around us. And it tells you quite a lot about the way, you know, what we do at church and why we do it. Like, why do we... Um, we expect that when we gather in the name of Jesus, that we're in the presence of God. There's a in the future. In the future, um, we will we'll know God's presence in, a, in its fullness. Like it says that in the Bible, we'll know that in its fullness. And when we when we gather today in the name of Jesus, we we believe uh, and we hope that we're in the presence of God. We believe that we can actually experience Him, actually feel the presence of God. Um, it. 
it explains why um, why we pray for good things, like for, for healing for people when somebody's um, sick or suffering. We pray for them, and we um, and we hope, you know, that they're going to be healed. That, um, that that future reality where there's no more sickness and suffering is going to break into the present. Into the present. We, so we ask for those future things today. We go, God, I want a bit of that Monday today, Sunday. Or maybe you don't want a bit of Monday today. Anyway, uh, but sometimes, sometimes, maybe sometimes it's not quite the right word, maybe quite a lot. We ask and we ask and we ask and nothing seems to happen. We pray for healing for somebody and they're still sick. Or we, we don't feel the presence of God. Or we don't feel like he's speaking to us. Or we have hopes and dreams in our hearts that we believe that God has put there, like these good things that we hope for and they remain unfulfilled. Or we hear prophecies in church. You come along to CV and you hear prophecies and um, sometimes we hear prophecies about a powerful move of God coming. Um, But we're still waiting. And so what do we do? What do we do? Waiting. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. This old proverb says, but how do we continue to hope and wait without our hearts getting sick? Do we, do we get uh, really impatient, like the impatient drivers on the road, and do we uh, like just go, okay, I'm just going to pull, pull up my socks and ramp up my prayers, and um, the problem's because I don't have enough faith, or the problem's because the person I'm praying for doesn't have enough faith? Um, or do we just give up, like to retreat and go, well, um, I believe in God, but I don't really think he's interested in, in my day-to-day world, that he's not going to do anything. Uh, or is there somehow a way to hold intention, like the mystery of, of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is, is invading the present, um, that, it, that it's here, there's moments that we experience it and we, we go, that's it, um, but that uh, it's also a future thing and it's not here in its fullness. And somehow, we, how, how do we hold intention, this, um, this mystery? Now, a, a few weeks ago, I went for a walk up the hill, um, up the hill behind our, this is a hill behind our house, um, behind um, Mongaraki, uh, and there's this really ex- expansive view from the top. I like using the, that panoramic function on my phone, and and uh, so up, up on the um, up on the left hand side of the screen is um, in the distance is is, uh, is the Hut Valley. And then you can see over uh, Lower Hutt and then Petoni and out into the harbour and then you can make out Machu Soames in the middle of the harbour and then you can, you can see sort of the edges of Wellington and then off in the distance, you can't, I couldn't capture it on the photo, but I could see all the way to the snow, uh, snowy peaks of the South Island. It was so cool. And there's me. Yeah. <laughs> to prove that I was there. Uh, and then I walked. Then I uh, so I was up on the hill, top of the hill, and then I walked down, walked down the, uh, this track, and and I found this little sign that says uh, "To Tiro Moana Road, off to the left," or "Buki um, Tiro Tiro Lookout to the right." And I hadn't seen this sign before, and so I, I quite like exploring and going new places. And so I followed this wee track on the wee track on the right, and. Um, <clears throat> It's one of those tracks. If you've done a bit of bushwalking in New Zealand, then then you'll know what I'm talking about. One of those tracks, and 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 very soon, like the the bush becomes quite dense, and and the track actually disappears, and you couldn't see you couldn't see where it was heading. Um, uh, and 
that somebody had been along before um, and they'd put little markers on, on trees, like every, I don't know, every five metres or something like that. There's little markers on the trees. Um, and in this case, they were like pink ribbons. Um, and so I was like adventurously following these, these markers and um, trying not to get lost. And so you'd kind of like look ahead, try to spot the next one and you follow that. And um, I, did get, I did get lost actually quite a few times. <laughs> Because sometimes there were these markers and they'd take, they took me to like a possum trap. <laughs> and then you get to that and you're looking for the next one. There is no next one because I've made to a um, possum trap and I had to backtrack a fair, a fair bit. And I began to sort of imagine how oh, I was actually spending the night in the bush. And, you know, like I'm, I'm literally like a few hundred meters away from houses. And I, I was thinking, I oh, imagine I could spend the night in the bush and Tessa wouldn't know where I am, where I was. And then I walk out in the morning if I ever find my way out of here. And I, I really loved it, actually. It, it, was such a, it was such an adventure. Like um, one moment I'd been up on the top of this hill, you know, up on this hill, seeing this massive, massive view. And then down, I was down this track and I was um, like, the only way I knew where to go was by following these markers. And I knew I was on the way to. I knew I was on the way somewhere because this sign here told me I was. I was on a track to Puki Tiro Tiro Lookout. I knew I was on the way to somewhere. I didn't know actually what. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know what I was going to see, but I knew I was on the way somewhere. And I just had to trust that that sign was telling me the truth, and that these uh, these markers along the way were actually going to get me somewhere. It was pretty disappointing actually when I finally got to the, the lookout. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I got there in the end. I'll probably do it again too. Nah, I didn't take any photo. I was too stressed out. To no, 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 no. I just, I just didn't really think about it at that point. Um, but, but when I was sort of like walking, uh, walking along, walking along, uh, looking at this track, I was, I was praying and stuff, and um, thinking, of, thinking about God. And I think that coming along to church, coming along to church, and hearing about the kingdom of God, um, can it be a bit like being on top of this mountain. Uh, or this hill, in this case, like you, you can come along and you can get like a really, you can get a big picture pers- sort of perspective of stuff. Um, you can see the big picture, and then, and then walking along these tracks, like where the track disappears, and you don't actually know what's sort of, uh, you know, where the track's actually going. I think that can be a bit like waiting for the waiting for the good things of the kingdom of God when when they don't when you don't feel like that, you know, that's that's happening. Like no clear track underfoot. And instead, they're like these little markers, like those little ribbons uh, on the trees, uh, just showing showing us the way. And they're quite faint things. Kind of look for them. Some of them were quite hard to see. Some of them were, um, you know, the branches had broken off, so you, they were on the ground and stuff like that. And so on my walk, um, some of you might like you might have this as well. And it's sort of in the natural things that God speaks to you, sort of in the. Um, just in the sort of the day-to-day stuff that God speaks to you, and, and I and I was thinking and praying and and thinking about these ribbons, and and I felt like God was, um, you know, I felt like God was telling me something about it, and so I was asking God, well, what, you know, if the, if this is sort of a metaphor for life, then then what are these markers? What are these markers that can keep me walking towards Jesus or following Jesus, like towards hope, towards the hope that He put in my heart? And I felt like the ribbons were were things actually quite mundane things. <laughs> Like coming to church, it can be feel like quite mundane, but being part of an encouraging community can be can be a marker. Like being being with people um, who who are people of faith and, and encouragement can that can be a marker, um, pointing the pointing the way, or praying, speaking to Jesus, having conversations with God, or like re- reading the Bible, 
man, even if you just grab a few words out of the Bible, that can be a marker along the way. Uh, taking communion, we're going to take communion this morning. That can be a, that can be a marker. Like other, there's loads of spiritual practices. I think these can all be markers. Worship, I think, is a powerful marker. Um, uh, we, you know, we sing, we singing, we sing these songs uh, like this morning. We sing songs that are old and new, ancient and modern. We can sing some songs that are based on on the Psalms. Like, how many years old are they? Thousands of years old, ancient, but they're markers that hold us that hold us onto the track when things seem pretty seem pretty grim. The words of Jesus, the words of Jesus that that have spoken to us in the past. Sometimes grabbing holds of grabbing hold of the words that he's spoken to us in the past, they can be the things that, that will actually enable us to walk in the present and walk into the future. And they're probably far, far more. These are just some of the things that I felt um, you know, felt being highlighted to me. But I think it's far, far more. So you know, have a think about what those markers are for you. One of one of my favorite verses in the Bible is that is the classic one, Psalm one one nine, uh one oh five. Your word is a lamp for my feet. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. That whole psalm is about the words of God. Actually, you just read the whole psalm. It's a big one. Your word is a lamp for my feet. Man, I've skipped out a whole bunch of my talk. A really good bit too. I'm going to backtrack a wee bit. Mountaintop experiences, and uh, I don't know if this is a if this is a common phrase. I know that I've heard it quite a lot in church. Mountaintop experiences, and uh, and it comes from Jesus' disciples who had a mountaintop experience in Matthew seventeen. Matthew seventeen, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, or the brother of Jesus. No, James, I must have typed it right. And led them up the high mountain by themselves. There he was, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The disciples, when they heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Man, that's a mountaintop experience, eh? That's a mountaintop experience. A bit more impressive than my wee hill. But it's quite crazy. So on the top of that mountain, Peter, James, and John, they saw the glory of Jesus. They saw him transfigured, transfigured, shining like the sun. And I think it must have been epic. Here he is, the Messiah. This is it, the Messiah, the Son of God. And they even hear this voice from the cloud that covered them, God saying, this is my son. And they must have felt so good. They go, this is it. This is it. Jesus, the Messiah, the transfigured Jesus, he's going to do all the things that we, that, that we, that they expected him to do, like fix their broken world, set them free from oppression under Roman rule. Um, the glory days are here again. Make Israel great again. <laughs> You know, this is it. This is it. And then they descended the mountain, and things got really tough. 
And they got really confusing, and Jesus didn't take control in the way that anybody expected. Anyone expected, eh? And so then, so yeah, you know, it's like see, like seeing the big, seeing the big picture, or coming along to church and hearing about the big picture, going um, like God is God, King of Kings, or the Kingdom of God is advancing. That's like seeing the big picture, and then descending the mountain and being in that, um, you know, being in being in times of like of, of difficulty and suffering is, it would have been a bit like that for the disciples, eh? And one time when, when things got tough, Jesus asked his disciples if they just wanted to give up and stop following him. And he gave them a pass. He goes, you know, you take off if you want to. And they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. Like in, in the waiting, <clears throat> in the tough times, all through life actually, hold on to the words of Jesus because he has the words of eternal life. And we've got to hold on tightly. Waiting, waiting well, waiting well is not a waste of time. And it can help to see it from a different perspective. Waiting well, like it's it's helpful to see it from a different perspective, and I, and I felt like the Lord um, was putting this on my heart that waiting well is is winning. Waiting well is winning. It's winning because it's inherently hopeful in the supreme power of the kingdom of God over the evil and brokenness and disappointment, the disease, the death, and the destruction that's all around us, and even sometimes in us. Keeping hope alive when it looks like things are going to custard and that things are not going to change, keeping hope alive in that situation is winning. We only, we only wait for what we hope for. We only wait at red lights because we hope that they're going to turn green eventually. One time, Nicholas and I were waiting in a red light. Um, this was, you remember that when you had your Ford Escort? This was quite a few years ago and we waited at the red light and and it just waiting. It was after church, waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and I, <laughs> did I say it to you? I don't know. We, I just, we just said, oh, let's just go. It'll be all right. And um, so we just shot through the, the, the red light. And then 10 seconds later, <laughs> you see the flashing red and blue lights. And <laughs> the policeman was parked right behind us the whole time. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and he... We got off the way. He let him off. We said to the said to the policeman, "Oh, we were waiting a long time." <laughs> there wasn't no one else there. <laughs> yeah, should have should have done that. He wasn't even undercover. <laughs> Always get caught, eh? <laughs> it's a naughty boy. You only wait at red lights because you hope they turn green. Otherwise, you shoot through. We only pray. We only pray because we hope that God hears us. We only pray for healing because we hope that God's going to heal that person. So waiting, waiting is winning. It's hopeful. In Romans eight, Romans eight, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he says, "I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the for, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed." For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, 
but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is already seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Paul's writing about the big picture kingdom of God and creation, waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, waiting for this moment when creation will be liberated Liberated from bondage to decay. Liberated from death to life. No more pollution. No more destruction of the land. No more extinction of species. No more climate change. No more natural disasters. Creation is groaning as it waits, he wrote. And he writes that, that we grow inwardly as, as well. Groaning. Have you had this before? Like where you're praying for somebody for healing and you're just groaning. Lord, let your kingdom come. Groaning, and it's like childbirth. Crying out for the kingdom of God to break through. Groaning is so deep and intense. Childbirth is uh, not, a, not a barrel of laughs, is it? <laughs> no. Waiting is hard. Groaning is hard. But Paul reminds us of our hope, and this hope we were saved, and this hope, and this hope in Jesus, and the and the hope of being adopted to sons. Like, uh, like Mark last week was talking about our, our being being sons and daughters. We believe that we are sons and daughters now, but there's a future reality when when that's going to be far far, or it's going to be. I don't know what the right word is to it, but everything is going to be. Crystal clear, eh? We hope for that. We hope for the redemption of our bodies, our re- you know, the resu- in the resurrection. When, uh, when, uh, when, when, the, when this when this flesh and bone, it's going to be different. It's going to be changed. Um, the Bible talks about um, resurrection and goes well. Um, you know, it's like a seed that's that's buried in the ground. And when that when that seed then sprouts, it's completely different from what it was. That's a metamorphosis. Uh, looking out of our looking out of our window this morning, and um, we are really blessed with where we live and the um, the people there that were there before us. They were they were keen gardeners. Um, what was the guy's name? Jim? Bill. Bill was a real real keen gardener, and he planted all these planted all these flowers um, all over the property and. And he knew what kind of flowers uh, would 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 would, um, would flower in different seasons. So no matter what time of the year, there'd be different flowers um, flowering. It's really cool. We're not. We're well. We are. We are great gardeners actually, but we don't just don't get a lot of uh, a lot of time for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a stretch. And, uh, and and so, but one of the cool things is um, this time of the year. Um, 
because out come the ground first like these these spears these shoots and then they flower and at this time of the year you've got daffodils just all over all over the property that that years and years ago bill bill planted daffodils and now they just every year like even though we don't garden very well um, there's patches of um, daffodils up on the up on the top section that I just run the lawnmower over, and every year they grow back. It's amazing. How did I get onto that? Pardon? No, I don't do them when they're flowering. That'd be unethical. That'd be immoral. <laughs> Resurrection. Goodness me, I've just got so distracted. <laughs> Where was I? Rede- oh, yeah, that's right. The redemption of our bodies. That's what I'm talking about. The redemption of our bodies. Resurrection. We hope for these things. We hope we're going to spread out of the ground like resurrected daffodils. And we hold on to this hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the only thing you're going to remember. Oh, dear. Um, and he goes, we, oh man. he goes, we wait patiently. I like how he writes that. We wait patiently um, because sometimes we're not actually patient. We wait steadfastly. Yes, we're going to be steadfast, even if we don't feel steadfast. Groaning inwardly. Waiting is winning. Waiting well is winning. That slide was meant to come earlier on. Number two. Waiting well is, uh, involves expectation and preparation expectation and preparation and Jesus talked a lot about waiting waiting well Matthew 25 he told a couple of parables about waiting for the kingdom of God so I'll paraphrase but but read them Jesus has the words of eternal life so read his words but I'm going to paraphrase and the first one's about a bridesmaid about bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom in the uh, 2,000 years ago wedding traditions in the Middle East were a bit different than than what we have now and in this parable there's 10 bridesmaids 10 uh, Ten wise ones and ten foolish ones. Ten smart ones. Oh, sorry, five smart ones and five silly ones. And they took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. The five that were wise, they took extra oil for their lamps. And the five that were silly didn't take enough. The bridegroom was delayed. He took a bit longer to expect than they expected. And so they all fell asleep, all of them, the smart ones and the silly ones. And then at midnight, they get the call, here he comes, the bridegroom's arrived. So this is the moment when they had to spark up their lamps and, uh, and welcome him in. But the five foolish bridesmaids didn't have enough. They'd run out of oil. So they asked the five with oil, and they said, no, you can't have ours. <laughs> Can get your own? And so they raced down to um, the petrol station. Um, and while they were out getting some more oil, the others, the others were left for the wedding feast. And, uh, and the five foolish bridesmaids missed out. And at the end of the parable, Jesus says, So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. There's two things. There's heaps going on here, but there's two things I want to highlight. One is that there's a delay. Jesus told us to expect a delay. There's waiting. We have to wait for what we hope for. And the second thing is that it's really, really important to prepare. Like in the waiting, to prepare and to get ready. To be ready because we don't know the day or the hour of his return. To get ready. And maybe this means, maybe this means growing up. Maybe this means maturing in the faith. Like giving up the things that we know God want, doesn't want us to do anymore. Or deepen, deepening our relationship with Jesus. 
or uh, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Loving others, keeping our faith alive, doing what it takes to be ready for the kingdom of God. The second parable follows right on, uh, right on from that one, and it's called the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, but it, but it's also about waiting and it's about risk. It should be called the parable of the risk, the risky ones. And in this parable, a man went away on a journey and he put his servants in charge of his property. Each of the servants were given various amounts of money. Five talents, two talents, and one talent. And I Googled it. I Googled what a talent was. Because back in the day, a talent wasn't your special gift. <laughs> it wasn't uh, you know, Anna's gift of singing or, um, or different gifts like that. It was, it was money. You know, it was a weight. It was a weight of money, like a kilogram. A talent of silver, 45 kilograms. A talent of gold, 91 kilograms. 91. That's a lot of gold. So if it was gold, then the master gave, uh, gave the top servant 455 kg of gold. That's a lot, eh? 450, that's half a ton, almost. 182 kilograms he gave to the number two, and to the, to the stink servant, he gave 91 kilograms. So even the stink servant got a lot. What would you do with 91 kilograms of gold? And then the master takes off. And so, yeah, what would you do? What would you do if your boss made you responsible for uh, 455 kilograms of gold? And he goes, yeah, take care of this. Oh, I'm off. We'll be back. See you soon. The servants took different approaches. Two of them invested it. So it's a pretty risky approach. Like, put it on the stocks uh, or whatever they did. And then one of them did, um, did the safe option and, and he buried it. And so the master, he was away a long time, and when he got back, he was really stoked with servant number one and number two because they'd, um, they'd risked all of that gold or whatever it was, their property, and they'd made more out of it. And he was stoked with them. And then he was hot mad. He was real mad. He goes to the, to the um, third servant, you stink guy, you wicked and lazy slave. And he takes it all away from him. It's, a, it's like, man... That's actually pretty full on, because what would, what would you do? Oh, I'd protect it. God's really been challenging, actually, me about, about this, with this, with this parable going, you know, what are you going to risk? What are you going to risk? What are the things that God has blessed me with that I'm going to risk? What are the things that God has blessed our church with that we're going to risk? Well, that's reading it on one level. But there's two things I want to highlight from this parable, and one is that there's delay. Again, there's delay. Waiting is part of the package. We don't get to escape it. Nobody gets to escape it. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. We've got to wait for stuff. Waiting is part of the package. And the second, that, the second is that what we do while we wait is important. And there's no easy answers. In the first parable, you've got these wise bridesmaids, and they are ready to wait with their extra oil for their lamps. And the second one, the smart servants, they prepared for their master's return by risking their master's property, putting it all on the line. <laughs> And the first one, the foolish bridesmaids didn't prepare or expect delay. And in the second one, the wicked fool, the wicked servant didn't, didn't risk what uh, the master had given him. He didn't put it to work. And they all waited. They all waited. The, the, the ten bridesmaids and the three servants, they all waited. But they didn't all wait well. And these are parables, right? So they, they illustrate, and they, they, illustrate us, um, they illustrate us what the kingdom of God is, is about, but in themselves they don't give the, the full picture. They're parables. 
And in these parables, the uh, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of things. In the in the parables, the bridegroom, he he's absent somewhere. He's gone. They're waiting for him to turn up. And in the second one. The master's absent as well. And also in the second one, we're talking about a master and servants. But we know that, that in God, we can be sons and daughters, not servants, not slaves. But the bridegroom and the master are absent. They've gone somewhere. And the parables probably speak about the, about the second coming of Jesus, like this moment in time, this incredible moment when Jesus returns and the kingdom of God is fully here. But in the, but in the, but in the tension and the mystery of the present age, Jesus is not absent, but he's also not here like he will be in the future. He's not left us. He's with us. Even in our waiting, he's with us. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he says, Surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And ultimately, we wait for this day, and our heart yearns for this day when he returns in his full glory. That day when every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That day that the kingdom of God is here in its fullness. That day that we see Jesus like transfigured up on the mountain like those guys got to see. And we go, this is the day. But in the meantime, Jesus is with us in a different way. And sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't, feel, it doesn't feel like he's with us, but he's with us. In the meantime, the kingdom breaks in, his kingdom breaks in, and it's sometimes when we least expect it. Healing when we least expect it, or good things of God when we least expect it. And sometimes they, they can be like markers along the track as well, like going, yep, you're on, you're on course. Like this is, this is something to hold on to. And sometimes we're on top of the mountain and everything makes sense. And then sometimes we're lost in the lost in the bush, and we're backtracking to where the last marker was. And these markers along the track, they point us to the king, king himself. They're reminders, they're reminders that he's here with us in the waiting. Yeah. And one of the markers God has given us is communion. The Lord's Supper. One of the, this is one of the markers. These are one of the markers along the track, communion. It's an important thing. The Lord's Supper. It's not an empty tradition. It can be. <laughs> you can treat it like that, but it doesn't have to be. It, it's a sacrament. It's a means by which God enacts his grace. It's an empowered act that we can use to keep us on track. We can use it, just use it for ourselves. An event in which we can meet with God and invite his Holy Spirit to move in us. It points us to this moment in history that Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago. He was broken and he was bleeding. And it points us to this moment in the future when Jesus will return in triumph. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I know we talked about this, I think, last time we took communion, but it's taking communion points to this moment in the history and it points to this moment in the future. It's a marker along the track. But it's not simply a marker on the track. Hi, right, guys, come and, come and find a seat. We're talking about communion, the bread and the wine. The Lord's Supper is not, it's not just a marker on the track. It's not just a signpost. 
but taking the Lord's Supper is, is entering into the process. It's, uh, it's part of the journey. It's stepping towards Jesus, and it's becoming more like him. And in the footnotes... In the footnotes to my Bible, it says the actions of the Lord's Supper, taking, giving thanks, breaking, and giving, are actions that those who eat the meal receive from the Lord as gifts of grace. The church receives the gift of the meal, has its brokenness restored, and is then enabled to pass the thanksgiving, breaking, and giving on in mission. All creative power for restoration and mission. All creative power for restoration and mission lies with God and Jesus. And he the footnotes says this the, this process is a crucial this process is a crucial element in our formation into Christ, into Christ likeness so awesome eh and so this morning we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup in remembrance of Jesus what he has done and what he will do and i encourage you as we take it to be really open to the transformational to a transformational encounter with Jesus like i've been talking about waiting and it's hard, and I know that many people like are in the in the middle of waiting, waiting for things, waiting for good things, waiting for healing, like waiting for all sorts of different things. But this is a this is a marker. This is a this is a moment. Sometimes all we just need, all we need to know is that God God is with us. Like in the waiting, God is with us. And I think that as we take communion, it can it can be like that. It could be part of that being ready, like the bridesmaids having their having their lamps filled with oil. It can be part of that part of that thing. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to grab these tables. Well, Tessa's going to grab the tables for me. I'm going to take communion. Yeah, so Paul says, Paul says this, do this in remembrance of me, Break, breaking the bread. Do this in remembrance of Jesus. So I'm going to do this this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for, the, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this mo- uh, moment that we can take communion together as a, as a family to... Um, to receive uh, your body and to receive your blood, and so this morning I'm going to break break the bread, Lord, and uh, and and we'll do it in remembrance of you. And I pray that even as we as we take this this morning, that we would we would know you and experience you. Yeah, that you would uh, remind our hearts that that we're where we're meant to be, and your presence, Lord Jesus. Mm, amen. So we thank you for this bread, Lord, that represents your body, and we thank you for this cup that represents your wine, and we thank you that, as well as being uh, a remembrance of something that's happened 2,000 years ago, that it's something that is uh, important for us today in the present, and it's also something that points to the future, and we look forward to the day that when you come again, Lord Jesus.